This is your Prophecy Update with host John Holler. I'm going to talk about pandemic, and I'm quite confident that what I say may uh, offend some people, uh, but uh, so be it. We see a lot of things these days being banned, or apparently banned, I might say, on YouTube and other platforms. We have churches that aren't meeting as groups. It is a very strange world. The things that we talk about with regard to Bible prophecy and other things here, uh, in two months, the world has completely changed. And it is, it's, it's been a stunning thing to watch. Now, let me just preface my remarks with a couple things. We know that when Jesus, we know that in prophecy in Jewish thought sets forth a pattern so that it it recapitulates itself it happens you know over again or a number of times and the, the meaning of it becomes clear each time but we know that when so one of the patterns would be though that when Jesus came the first time the prophecies around his first coming had been in existence for couple thousand years or more and some of those prophecies were fulfilled a little bit before he was born uh, at the time of his birth at his presentation in the temple but about 60 percent of those prophecies were fulfilled in the last week of Jesus life before leading up to his crucifixion burial and resurrection I think that pattern will at least hold if not be more intense as we approach his second coming and the close of this age and then before leading up to the time Jesus returns to set up his millennial kingdom and we'll see an, sort of a an increase, an exponential increase in the way the prophecies are fulfilled as his return approaches. And as I've sort of thought and pondered what, what that might look like, I think it might look a little bit like the world in which we live right now where things will change dramatically and suddenly. I don't know that it's ever happened before in history that the world shut down for the most part. Economies have shut down. Economies are, are faltering. People are out of work. I see pictures, videos of airplanes parked in airports. Somebody sent me a video. I didn't have time to put it in my talk today. Of Pittsburgh Airport, where the runways are lined with American Airlines um, aircraft, and it's it's a very disconcerting thing to watch. And the world is disrupted, and the world has shut down completely in such a short period of time. It, it's almost hard to comprehend. I drive around, I go down to where uh, my office is, and there's, there's just no cars, at least until this week, there more started appearing. There are no cars in the parking lots and that sort of thing. It's just, it's absolutely stunning. So I want to share with you just a couple verses here from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, a passage we refer to a lot because I think it has some applicability to today's talk, at least the last part. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. 
And keep in mind, this builds on the theme, themes that Jesus had conveyed to the disciples in the Olivet Discourse, warning them at least four times about, take heed that no man deceive you. And so my, my question is, or my, 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 I guess my question is, if Jesus was warning us about deception associated with the end times, is that something that we should take seriously? And I think the answer to that is obviously, yes, it is. And the Apostle Paul, in this passage, and in other passages, like 1 Timothy 4, but in 2 Timothy 4, he says this, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I suggest to you not enduring sound doctrine indicates that this is a condition of the church. And it goes on to say, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And uh, this week, I think we saw some of that. So I'm going to address that at the end. I'll look at some of the things that I think are just sort of general news, some that might relate a little bit more directly to Bible prophecy. But I think all of them indicate that at least a spirit of the age in which we we live in. Now, this is a story uh, from earlier this week about General Flynn, uh, who was the director of was it DIA, National Intelligence Director for President Trump, but who was caught up in an FBI investigation, was charged with and, and pled guilty to lying to investigators. And in a, a fairly, I think a lot of people predicted, I thought this was coming eventually, but it did take quite a while. The Justice Department under Attorney General Barr This week, he appointed someone within the department to evaluate the case against General Flynn. And the recommendation was that the United States drop the prosecution of General Flynn because of what had happened, because there was really no reason for him to be uh, interviewed by the FBI. And because there was no reason to be interviewed by the FBI, it sort of made a little bit specious the fact that he he did mischaracter he did make some he admitted that what he said was not truthful. But the whole attack on General Flynn was a complete sham and made up. Now, in my career as a, a trial lawyer, I have had some white collar uh, cases that I've handled. And I know what happens in FBI investigations. And I know how people are subpoenaed to the grand jury. And if you're the witness, your lawyer is not allowed in the grand jury room. Uh, If you are interviewed by the FBI, a lot of times they will allow your lawyer to be there. But the lawyer is really restricted in what they can do. And the problem is if you tell something in an FBI interview or grand jury testimony that the government can claim is untruthful, you'll be dragged into criminal court and charged with a crime, 
whether you committed an underlying crime or not. For example, Martha Stewart would be a good example. She was never really charged with securities fraud, but she did make a misstatement in the investigation and ended up spending some time in prison because she was not truthful in the FBI interview. And I've seen, listen, I've seen these interviews conducted. The interviewer will sit there in a room and there will be three or four, there'll be an FBI agent and some investigators and maybe somebody from Treasury if there's financial fraud involved. And they will have uh, notebooks of documents, file boxes of documents, and all sorts of things. And they will then ask the person being interviewed questions and they will say, well, on such and such, did you ever send an email to someone about this? Now, the person sitting there has nothing and can only go on his memory. And I suspect this is some of what happened in General Flynn's interview. And it was, it was pretty clear from some of the things that have come out and even some rather shocking things from a January 5th, 2017 meeting with, the, with President Obama and Susan Rice and some others about how they were going to deal with the situation with General Flynn. It becomes a memory contest. So the FBI will be sitting there with a notebook full of emails, and they never show the witness the emails. And so if you say, well, no, I, I, I don't think I never sent that, you could, if you did, you could immediately be charged with lying to the FBI. And so there's a very careful process that you go through to prepare a witness to testify. And one of the ways to do that is to just say, well, I don't remember, but if you have something, you know, show me and I'll, I'll certainly answer that. I just don't recall at this moment that I did. But if you say the wrong thing, you're toast and you can end up in prison and General Flynn has been essentially financially ruined. And it, I think it goes to show that there is corruption and lawlessness in high places. And I think this is a characteristic of the end time. So I'm grateful that uh, General Flynn has been, or when the judge signs the dismissal order, which I think it will happen, that he will be free to get back to living his life after being financially ruined in a political witch hunt. And you need to remember that at least one person who's going to be running for president was involved with the administration that set this up. It's, uh, it's appalling, and it, it is un-American. And let's hope that somebody follows up on uh, the people that did this to General Flynn. I saw that one of the investigating attorneys who's been involved in a number of these got a job at a big law firm, one of the largest law firms in the world, and he will be making, in a year, much more, I can assure you. He'll be making more in a year than uh, General Flynn lost in his life savings. And this is, uh, this is just not right. But it's, it's, again, it's indicative of the spirit of the age. Now, sometimes I wonder if people that know what Christians believe about end times and the importance and emphasis on the number 666, sometimes I wonder, are they trolling us? Are they, are they, are they, are they making fun of us? This was a bill that was introduced <clears throat> It was uh, initially a shell bill. This is what they do sometimes. They introduce a bill that has nothing in it. 
and it's a bit of a placeholder. You'll see this in the connection, by the way, with the CARES Act. And there's a theory going out that the CARES Act was initially introduced, there was a CARES Act introduced into Congress on January 24th, before the virus thing was really breaking out. And a lot of people are running around saying, oh, look, this proves that they knew everything, they planned everything, but it was a placeholder bill. You can go and you can look at the text that was there, and it was later filled in with a real bill. You can just go to the, the CARES Act and do that. And this one was initially a shell bill, but then it was filled out, and it has this title, COVID-19 testing, reaching, and contacting everyone, tra- uh, the TRACE Act. And it has the number HR 6666. And there is, I looked, there is a 6665. So it was the one in the sequence. So I, I don't know if somebody's trolling everybody or this is intentional signaling of their plans or everything, but look at what the bill proposes to do. It says that it will, um, it's to authorize the Secretary of Health and Human Services to award grants to eligible entities to conduct diagnostic testing for COVID-19 and related activities such as contact tracing through mobile health units and as necessary at individuals, residences, and for other purposes. And there is, regardless of your view of this whole pandemic and fake-demic or whatever you want to call it, depending on your view, it is clear that people with agendas have rushed in to further those agendas. And some of that is an agenda to control the population. And they are. I mean, you, I even saw the uh, somebody in, that works in uh, Ventura County. They were saying, um, you know, we're going to come in your homes and get you and put you in quarantine. It's, it's rather shocking. There was a case out in Texas, I'm sure most of you are aware of, of a lady who was concerned that she couldn't feed her family. So she opened her hair salon. She was arrested. She went before the judge. The judge said, you're selfish. You're violating the order. Find her thousands of dollars and threw her in jail for seven days. Now, Governor Abbott in Texas issued a, a a pardon and reverse what the judge had done. But this this is what's happening. And then there are people who want to take control, who want to further their agendas, and they're they're using this to their advantage. And I think in many respects, Americans and people, I have friends writing from to me from all over the world. Uh, even in Sweden, I get emails from people saying, you know, we... We didn't really lock down that much, but our economy is tanking, unemployment's way up, GDP is way down. Uh, it's, it's, it's bad. And so everybody says Sweden, they didn't really do that much, but they did do a lot. They limited the number of gatherings. I mean, restaurants and bars stayed open and everything. But people sort of ratcheted down their economic activity. So their economy is performing as bad as the other countries in Europe around them which I'll talk about in just a moment because I think this is a a bigger issue, even more so on the medical side, which seems to be resolving itself in many cases. And we'll we'll see. Well, everything will open up and everybody will try to go back to normal or what they feel they can do in being normal. And we'll see if it was the right decision. I mean, that's, 
Uh, it's hard to speculate. I mean, everybody has a model. World Health Organization has a model. The CDC has a model. The people in all these different state capitals that are making decisions have models. And now, for example, there's a model coming out from a mental health organization in Australia that says more people will die from suicide, will commit suicide because of economic conditions than they ever would die from the virus. Now, I don't know what they base that model on. And maybe I pray that their model uh, proves to be as wrong as a lot of the other models have proven to be. But the fact of the matter is we have a major, major crisis. Everywhere you look, banks are making charge-offs for potential bad loans. This is from the Financial Times. Global banks brace it for $50 billion of bad loan charges in the first quarter. There are many, many things that are happening. And a lot of times I use mainstream sources because sometimes they're expressing the same concerns that conservative, you know, sort of non-mainstream sources, media sources are expressing. This happens to be the Wall Street Journal, but I've mentioned many times that the New York Times has had an article to uh, a number of articles, uh, they call it the Privacy Project, a very well done series of articles about concerns about privacy with technology. It's stunning. So, you know, here, you know, offices prepare to open with new surveillance tools and And I've seen some of the rules that uh, employers are putting in place for people. You know, you have to stay in your office with your door shut. And if you walk outside your door, you have to have a mask on. And you have to stay certain, you have to stay the social distance thing from everybody. And these, these are sort of voluntary restrictions. We have a big problem with meat processing plants. The last I heard that was Wendy's, which is headquartered just a couple miles from my house, 20% 20% of their restaurants are out of beef. So Claire, that Clarapella, Clarapel or whatever her name was, the Where's the Beef commercial that was done however many decades ago, um, maybe it was a prophecy. And um, I'm joking about that. I stopped by a local Burger King to buy something, and I have gotten to know the manager there a little bit over the years, and I... Just ask him how he's going, how's his supplies going. And he said, well, I'm out of milkshakes. And this is un-American. <laughs> uh, I, like, I actually like Burger King. I maybe allow myself one a week, maybe. That's my cheat thing. So he, I said, how are you doing? He says, well, I'm out of 22 items on my menu today. And I am told that I will not receive any supplies for 10 weeks. So there is a disruption in the food chain. There's a local farm up here in northwest Ohio near Van Wert that's selling hogs. And they had such a big um, response to it that they're selling hogs. You had to buy 10. Uh, I don't have a use for 10 hogs. but uh, And you have to make sure you have a butcher and everything. And, and I've, I've already seen disruption uh, in truck trucking companies that haul corn for ethanol plants Ethanol plants are operating at 30% of what they were. And so there's a lot of trucking companies are losing that business. It's, everything's just very disrupted. There's predictions, though, that some people in the economy, there will be winners and losers. For example, a loser would be regional malls, 
retail will have major problems. A winner, though, is data centers. And there are some data centers going up around Columbus. There's some out near where I live on the northwest side of town. And they, they don't have any identifying markers on them. They're just these big, long, white buildings, as you can see from the freeway. Highly secure fencing, redundant backup generators, special power supplies, and no names. Now, so the, the rumor around town is these are Amazon server farms, but I know Google's spending... What are they spending out here? Not too far from church, six, seven hundred million dollars to build a server farm. So these, so but data centers like this will be a big deal. Uh, seniors housing is considered to be a loser for the economy, given the problems that have been evident in really high number of deaths in a lot of places from this virus and, and other related conditions but or unrelated conditions but there's been a big huge spike in death particularly in senior facilities that's way above normal and that's not going to do well there's some interesting anomalies sort of watching real estate a little bit and there was a big article in the wall street journal about this that housing prices uh in many parts of the country are up if you're in the right price point in the market because inventory is down and people are still employed and so if you're in the right geographic location, there's actually been, uh, even here in Columbus, there's been some places that have spiked 15 to 20% in the last month. Their house prices have gone up. This is, this is stuff that you might have seen in California. Now it's happening in the, middle, the Midwest. And the economy is bad, but your house price is going up. It just, there's some things that just don't make sense the way all of this thing is going. So here's an example of some of the decline in the economy. Change in number of requests made to Apple. Maps for directions in the U.S. since January 2013, uh, January 13th for driving, transit, and walking. And you can see that the request, everything kind of dropped off, and the driving things have come back, but the transit thing is still flat. So you see pictures in New York. Subway traffic is down 90, at least people getting on the subway, down 95 to 98%. And these are things we've never, I mean, these things didn't even happen back in World War II when things were rationed because people were still working in the economy. And now everything's just shut down. And so there's commercial real estate will be bad. Restaurants will be bad. Here's another example. Change from previous year in the average daily price of gasoline in the U.S. And you can see that there's been a huge drop in the price of gasoline. But it hasn't all caught up to the oil price. Oil recovered a little bit this week. Stock market kind of goes up a little bit. NASDAQ is up. But everything is still very disruptive. And when you talk to experts, they don't really know what's going on. The unemployment numbers are really bad. You can see the chart on the front of the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. Decade of job gains erased just in the month of April. I thought I would play for you a little interview that was done by Bloomberg Business with Bob Michael. He is the chief investment officer for J.P. Morgan. And here is a little bit of what they had to say about the unemployment numbers and what it means. I think this is about three minutes long. It has taken just a couple of months to destroy what took a decade to build. How long will it take to rebuild it? It's a key question for all of us as we work our way through this reopening and this long road towards normalization. Here's an optimistic president of the United States. We're going to have a great economy very soon, much sooner than people think. This was artificially induced. This was an artificially induced 
unemployment. The President of the United States weighing in on the shutdown. It was a policy choice, a tough policy choice as well. And I think that's what he's referring to when he says it's artificial. Is it as simple, though, as just turning on the lights and the jobs come back? Let's turn now to a great guest, a good friend of ours, Bob Michael of JP Morgan Asset Management. Bob, walk me through that. Is it that simple? Re- reopen and the jobs come back as quickly as the jobs left? No, it, it's not that simple. And, and I agree with, with Mike. It's going to take years or longer. Uh, to get back to where we are uh, or where we were. And it just seems like two months ago, we were looking at 3.5% unemployment, and every tenth was an enormous debate. Now everyone's estimating 15 to 20% unemployment. It's a multiple of 50 times the error we were looking for just two months ago. Here are two observation points that we're focused on. One is when you look at the Congressional Budget Office forecast for the end of 2021, they have unemployment at 9%. So sure, materially better than where we're going to peak in the high teens, But during the peak of the financial crisis, unemployment hit 10%. So even looking out a year and a half from now, we're still going to be roughly where we were at the peak of of the financial crisis. The other thing we're focused on is what happens when people return and the PPP programs run out. Are businesses going to find that their customers aren't returning the way they were pre-crisis, and are they going to end up starting a round of layoffs that nobody's anticipated? So, Bob, a couple of things to work through here. Let's pick up on the first point, the length of time it will take to recover because of the damage done. makes me wonder why week after week, every single Thursday, when we see these numbers, this market essentially ignores them. Why are we looking through this data? That's a good question. I think it just comes back to confidence in the policy response. Everyone talks about we've never seen this volume of policy response before. One of the things we did is to just project a downdraft in the second quarter, uh, somewhere around 10%, so call it 38 to 40% annualized, and say that's the trough, and then start this journey back up to the long-term trend rate to catch up to the long-term trend rate that's been in place, call it 1.5%, pre-crisis to fill that output gap, we estimate will take 10 to 12 years. Now, that's a long time, but is it unrealistic? No. After the financial crisis, it took about eight and a half years to catch up to the long-term trend line. So I think there's a lot of optimism. There's a lot of liquidity in place. It's going into asset prices. We don't share all that confidence. Well, and one of the things that they wanted to talk about there was why is the stock market rallying when the economy is so bad? And part of it is people are making bets. They think the recovery, instead of being a U-shape where it goes down, hits a trough for a long time, then comes back up, it'll be a V. It'll be a big drop, then a big climb back up. So a lot of people are betting that it may be a V-shape recovery. There is uh, There are companies that are doing very well, retail companies, some retail, food, and that type of thing. Uh, The Fed is all in. They're just buying up everything. But the fact of the matter is, everybody was concerned when the national debt hit 20 or $21 trillion. It's now approaching 30 and could go to 35 or 40 trillion. It's gone to 30. It's gone up like six, seven, eight trillion dollars in a month. And money's just pouring in from the Fed and elsewhere. 
look, if it was bad back in prior administrations, I don't think it's that great now. And I know there's a crisis. You know, look, if I knew exactly how this was going to go, I would be doing these uh, updates from my private island next to Bill Gates' private island or something. But it's, it's a very interesting thing to watch. So the stock market has done a lot of recovering, and it seems to be going up as jobless claims go up. That just That's a head-scratcher. And that's because people want to be optimistic. They want everything to recover. 33 million claims in six weeks, I think, is the number. This has never been seen before. Jobless rate is 14.7%. And I think the unemployment claims actually is understated by about half because they put a lot of restrictions in to cut down on on unemployment claims. So these are the ones who've been successfully able to file employment claims. Uh, One state, Kentucky, has loosened a lot of the restrictions on unemployment claims. So whereas unemployment claims are 20% of the workforce in a lot of states, in Kentucky, they're 33% of the workforce. So that, that I think that goes to show you is that these restrictions that were put in place in the last financial crisis are sort of the claims to be understated. <laughs> now, this is an, some interesting charts. These come from the New York Times, but you can source these elsewhere. And what they did, this one looks at Georgia, but they have similar charts. They're almost identical across the board. Whether you look at a state that's loosening restrictions or a state that has still severe restrictions or states that had no restrictions, the charts are almost identical. And so what do you see from this chart? Well, one of the things you see from this chart is that back here in February, the economy was going along pretty good. Now, when did China shut down? China shut down in late January. And when it shut down, well, maybe it shut down a little bit before that, but by the February the 1st, the effects of China were starting to be seen in a lot of places that were affected by the Chinese supply chain and manufacturing. And so here's Georgia. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that you look at economic activity and you see the gray area, that's when the lockdowns went went into play, early April. And you see the... You see the, the decline happening before the lockdowns. Now, my theory has been that the China shutdown and the oil price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia were the financial virus or contagion that led to a lot of this. And so if you look at these charts, and the, uh, the uh, New York Times slash Upshot has all kinds of different ones, they're virtually the same for... Strict lockdowns, no lockdowns, medium lockdowns, the charts look almost identical. So I think that supports my theory, at least, that the China shutdown is what caused a lot of it. Certainly, the lockdowns did not help, but you you see that when the lockdowns got put in place, the economy had already sort of reached a bottom or a, a decline. And you see little spikes like consumer spending, so people are not eating at restaurants or eating at home more, so they're going to spend more at home. So it's a very, very interesting thing. Here's another chart from the same New York Times upshot as to what people are going to do. Go to a stadium concert, 64% definitely or probably would not. 20%, a little less than 20% probably would. And 20% wouldn't do it before (laughs) this whole crisis anyway. Attend a sporting event. 
60% probably won't fly on airplanes, 60%. So you see that there's a still a concern you know, within people in the economy, consumer confidence, if you will. And this is going to be, this is going to take a while to resolve itself. So this is, it's, it's very interesting. So you can take a look at that there, freeze it and take a look at that chart. Now let's look at some geopolitics because we've all talked, we've been talking for weeks about the economy, about the COVID crisis and the response to that, but geopolitics still marches on. There is a uh, very interesting comment in foreign affairs article this week. I cannot remember the title of it off the top of my head, but it essentially says uh, the world is really in a mess and it's going to continue to be in a mess for a long time. I'm paraphrasing. And uh, that's from the, uh, the globalists there. You know, of course, the CFR is largely globalist. They have people that aren't, though. But here's an interesting thing. So Russia is having problems. They have a couple hundred thousand people uh, diagnosed with coronavirus. They've had a number of deaths. They've shut everything down. And the problem is it's having an impact on Vladimir, and Pu- Vladimir Putin, who we like to refer to here as Vlad the Indefinite. Uh, he wanted to put in place some things that would allow him to remain in office until 2036. Uh, he may control maybe one of the richest, maybe, maybe the richest person on the planet uh, because of the way he's sort of worked himself into power. But he's had to put everything on hold. They can't vote on it. They didn't have their big celebration on Friday, the, May 8th. Red Square was empty, but they still had to fly over. It was, it's very strange to watch all these sort of celebrations go on with nobody. So they're on lockdown. <clears throat> he can't get his constitutional things passed in a referendum and now certain areas of the country oligarchs these rich people in russia that control large industries and sometimes very localized are essentially in control of large areas of russia and they don't really care what what uh, vlad the indefinite has to say about it now one of the prices where russia is being hurt is the oil price oil prices down oil is a big deal for them as is natural gas. There are a number of pressures on them. So Russia decided we needed, we had the problem in Ukraine, that's where most of their, almost all their gas lines transit. So they had to figure out what are we gonna do with Ukraine, get around Ukraine. So they they devised this Nord Stream project to come up through the North Sea, down into the Baltic states. But what happened was because of sanctions that President Trump and the U.S. administration put in, they, that project fell apart. At the same time, though, there's a, a Polish project that's taking place that's going to supply gas from the North Sea to Central, uh, Eastern and Northern, North Central Europe. And that's going to undermine Russia's natural gas sales. At the same time, we have Israel and Cyprus developing a pipeline, building a pipeline from the Eastern Mediterranean up through Greece into Europe, which is going to further undercut Russia's economic outlook. They get, oh, I think it's way over 60% of their national revenue from the sale of oil and gas. So this is, so Russian, 
Vladimir Putin is having some issues. Now, I only bring that up because when people have issues like that, they sometimes start things called wars to cover over their domestic problems. And I think he has some pretty severe domestic problems. There's a great article at the Daily Beast. After five bloody years in Syria, Russia is turning against Iran and Assad. So there's a lot of things in the press this week about Iran and Russia want to get rid of Assad. No, Russia wants to get rid of Assad, but Iran wants to keep Assad. Um, So let me just explain. Let me just read a little bit of this article. So uh, after five years of fighting to preserve Bashar al-Assad's regime in Syria, Russia now appears inclined to dispose of its infamous client. Uh, Assad's persistent brutality and corruption and his inability to establish even the semblance of a functioning state has grown to be a burden Moscow would prefer not to bear. And then there's the problem of, of Iran. Assad, members of his family, and his Alawite clansmen enjoy close, perhaps unbreakable bonds to the regime in Tehran and to Iranian-backed militias in Syria, all of which undermines Moscow's primary mission there to rehabilitate the Assad regime as a symbol of stability capable of attracting hundreds of billions of dollars of foreign investment for reconstruction, which Russian firms would then be poised to receive. As long as Assad's relatives continue to function as a mafia, and give free reign to Iranian troops using Syria as a base of operations to threaten Israel and plan attacks against the U.S. troops in Iraq. Those countries likely to foot the bill for Syrian reconstruction, the nations of Europe and the Gulf, are unlikely to come up with the cash. And so Putin's looking at this and he's thinking like, I don't want to get into this endless war situation that the Soviet Union got into in Afghanistan back in the late 80s, throughout the 80s. Well, I guess it was from at least 1980 through 89. And it really led to the breakup of the Soviet Union, which Putin really hates. Now, what the Daily Beast noted and other analysts have noted is that in some of the Russian papers, there was a series of articles over the past couple of weeks, starting with three in the Russian Federation Federal News Agency, complaining about corruption in the Assad regime. And it was pretty direct. It was one of the oligarchs runs this Federal News Eight Russian Federal News Agency. He's also known as the Kremlin Cooker, who finances his private mercenary Wagner group. Remember the Wagner group is a group of former uh, with the Spazi Special Forces, and the U.S. killed about 200 of them because they violated a U.S. red line in Syria a couple of years ago. And the Wagner Group has also put about 1,200 troops now into Libya to try to prop up a guy named Haftar who wants to take control of Libya, which puts them in conflict with Turkey, who's supporting the U.N.-backed Islamist government, the non-Islamist government is backed by Putin. And so these are leading to conflicts. So there's a lot of speculation that the corruption in the Syrian regime, which is rampant, is going to lead to a, a breakup or a removal of Assad. Now, there's a report, Middle East monitors said that Russia, Turkey, and Iran have agreed to remove Assad. Uh, certainly, Turkey wants that to happen. I think Russia is leaning that way. There's a video that I played a number of times where they had a meeting uh, at an airport, 
and Assad was there with Putin, and Putin went to the podium to speak, and Assad went to join him, and one of the Russian guys stopped Assad and said, no, 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 you don't get to be in the photo op on this. It was a pretty humiliating thing. So exactly how this all plays out is, is kind of interesting, especially when you look at it in light of uh, Ezekiel 38, 39 scenario, one of the scenarios that uh, we think will develop. So uh, there was also a report, this is from the Financial Times, that one of the members of the Assad clan, uh, who's probably richer than Assad, uh, took to social media to kind of criticize his cousin. The guy's worth hundreds, if not billions of dollars. There were some reports, maybe fake, that Assad had bought a $30 million painting for his wife. Hard to say. They're, so exactly what's going to happen in Syria right now is anybody's guess. Certainly the, the regime... Uh, is is not in good shape. Uh, I think I played some clips from Jonathan Spire and Jennifer Carafella from the Institute for the Study of War at a conference in Israel a couple months ago. Uh, this Syria is not going to resolve anytime soon, but now uh, people are sort of falling out of love with Assad. Iran continues to come in. Israel's launched some strikes up there to take out some Iranian sites. And uh, Jonathan Spire has a very good article in Friday's Jerusalem Post about Israel's incoherent strategy in Syria, essentially saying when this kind of came to the fore last week, Naftali Bennett, who was the defense minister, by the way, the Israeli government has formed with Netanyahu, who is the prime minister, had passed a challenge in the Israeli Supreme Court. So he's going to be the prime minister, at least for a time. We don't know how long the coalition will hold together. Uh, they don't seem to last very long these days. So who knows if the last 18 months that he's supposed to be in the prime minister's office before it falls apart. Uh, Netanyahu, I will say, has been very clever politically, the way he sort of played off parties against each other and got people to support him. Um, he's, he's been a master politician. It's been a stunning thing to watch. But So Naftali Bennett said, listen, Iran's going to withdraw from Syria. That led to a a series of rebuttals from people uh, at the INSS, Security uh, Strategic Studies or Strategic Security Group, and um, Netanya, they said, no, no, Iran's not leaving. And then there are some other indications that Iran's all in on getting highway and railway built from Tehran to Damascus. And so the question is, a lot of places is, what, what is Israel really going to do? Are we just going to continue these little surgical strikes? Because you can look at pictures of places that were destroyed a few weeks ago, and they're already back in operation. Uh, because the Iranians have a mission, and they're going to do this. And at the same time, Lebanon is falling apart. The other thing that's happening with this new government coming in, Netanyahu has said he wants to do annexation. And so I would really recommend you go to Jerusalem Post and read the interview that they did with David Friedman. It was, on, it was in the uh, Friday, May 8th edition of the Jerusalem Post. And essentially, the, they asked him about annexation. And it says here, the ambassador is confident that Israel could annex the parts of the West Bank mentioned in Trump's plan with the U.S. approval by July 1. But Israel is the one that has to make it happen, he said. We will be ready to address this issue if Israel is ready. Ultimately, 
as uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said, it's Israel's decision. They have to decide uh, what they want to do. The first condition is the completion of the map by the Joint U.S.-Israel Committee, which began working in February. The committee met in recent weeks. Friedman said it is on track to finish the mapping, pending judgment calls in Israel's court by July. The second condition, about which there, have been, there has been some confusion, is that Netanyahu pledged his commitment to Trump's peace plan and all it entails, including freezing settlement activity outside the 30% of Judea and Samaria delimited by the mapping committee and express a willingness to negotiate with the Palestinians to form a state in the rest of the West Bank. Some have said that the condition actually is he has to agree to a state. So here is what Friedman said. Netanyahu needs to communicate that to Abu Mazen. The expectation is that the prime minister will agree to negotiate and that the Palestinians show up he will negotiate in good faith based on his this plan. I don't see this as anything more than a commitment by the prime minister. As a new government is formed, it would be appropriate for support of the for the Trump plan to be re-upped by the leader and then to proceed in good faith on that basis. So you ought to read that because it does play into a pretty important thing. So one of the big deals is they want to, on the right here, you see the Jordan River in the middle, kind of gives you a, topo a topographic outline or layout of the Jordan Valley. And you see the Dead Sea that you saw there at the bottom, Jordan on the right, and then the Jordan Valley. And it's an incredibly important strategic place because there's a similar wall in the, on the Israeli side of mountains, a mountain range, that act as a natural barrier to this. So lots going on in the Middle East. Uh, don't forget that you know, this is very important in Bible prophecy. And this is, um, this is important. And so now I get to the part where everybody will hate me. Pandemic. Let me say this. This video went viral. I had one, I remember in one three-minute stretch in my messenger on Facebook, somebody sent it to, 10 people sent it to me in three minutes. I got it way over 100 times probably close to 200, if not more. Everybody was sending it to him, you've got to see this video. You've got to see this video. Now, uh, I'm going to make some comments about this video. Obviously, people sent it to me, have an opinion, and I have an opinion also. And I researched it. I talked to a lot of people. I read scientific technical papers. And I read hundreds of pages of court files involving the central figure in this video, Dr. Judy Mikovits. I listened to numerous interviews that she has done. I read her scientific papers. I read all about it. The video was, to me, one of the most supreme expressions of viral marketing I've ever seen. She has a book out. That book is now rocketed to the top of the bestseller list on Amazon. And frankly, I have a lot of people writing to me that if I don't believe exactly everything that she says, they question whether I'm of the faith. I've had that said to me. That is just absolute nonsense. I think the video, there were a number of interviews with her. There was a video put up. About pandemic, it wasn't that well done. And then all of a sudden, this really slick thing appeared on, I don't know, Wednesday or Thursday. And boom, 2 million views. 
in 24 hours, roughly. Those of us who sort of watch the internet and YouTube and that type of thing, we're all saying is like, we've never seen anything like this. YouTube, YouTube or somebody keeps taking it down and banning it. Maybe it's being taken down deliberately to make it look like it's being taken down, to make people want to see it more. I'm just telling you, there is a viral marketing campaign underway with this, this particular film, unlike anything I've ever seen. One of my friends said, boy, if Christians shared the gospel, 10% of the people who shared this video shared the gospel, the Great Commission would have been accomplished. And I think that's true. And it was a bit disconcerting that it just was, you've got to read, you've got to see this, you've got to see this, everything in it is just true. Now I'm a bit of a skeptic. I'm a trial lawyer. I will confess to being a bit cynical. And I want to see the proof. I think uh, some of the things were accurate. I do, however, think the video was highly manipulative and also inaccurate in many cases. If you remember back when this COVID crisis started, there was a huge flap about CBS News had put, when they were talking about New York City hospitals you know, being inundated with critical care patients for COVID, they used a clip from an Italian TV station about an Italian emergency ward. And everybody flipped out. That's inaccurate. They're misleading us. They're trying to deceive us. Now, one, that was actually true. It's also true that it was hard at that time for news agencies to get in because of HIPAA laws and privacy laws to get into hospitals to film anything in the U.S. And you'll, if you watch these things, unless the person has consented to it, there is virtually a no way to identify the people that are patients in the pictures. They are masked. I will tell you that the same thing happened. So as Judy Mikovits was t- relating her story about being arrested and put in jail, this is what the video looked like. Do you see the video here in the lower right? You'll see it here in the corner. It's like a military SWAT team, implying that this is the way that they came to her house and arrested her. This, my friends, is very highly manipulative. And I have only seen a two or three people that have analyzed the video even point this out. That's the kind of stuff everybody was upset with about CBS News. So why are we not upset about them doing the same thing in this video? Be consistent. You should always be on the the lookout for people manipulating you. And this is manipulative. I reviewed the court files. I'll talk about those in just a moment. So since everybody's seen this, I'm going to play about a six or seven minute clip of a young doctor in the UK um, who analyzed the video. She's a, she's a medical doctor. Judy Mikovits is a researcher. She has a degree and PhD in microbiology. She's not a medical doctor who treats patients. Uh, this is a doctor who treats patients and does research. And so I, Listen, if you're going to listen to Judy Mikovits, listen to Kate. I'll have to look up her name. But um, so here's just a clip of what she says. So first thing she starts off talking about is, I was inundated with this video. 
Kate, I feel your pain. <laughs> I, I, my phone was crashing because I'm getting so many messages from this video. You've got to watch this. You've got to watch this. Have you watched this yet? And frankly, when it started, I was, uh, I was playing golf. And so it really wasn't that important. But I've talked to many people. I spent a long time with a good pastor friend, with some other people who've done some YouTube videos, people in the Watchman discernment community I've communicated with. And I will say that all of them to a person have expressed concerns about uh, this video. I listened to interviews that were done with, from her. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't call them interviews. They were, uh, Judy, tell us your story. And that was it. That was not a hardball question. And look, I'm a lawyer. I like hardball questions. Okay. I love the cross-examination part. But nobody's, nobody's done that. So here is Dr. Kate. I think she's from Cardiff. Here's a little bit of her thoughts on the movie. So she says, first of all, she starts off saying, where's the critical thinking? She makes all these claims in this video with no proof and no citations. So does anybody question the claims that are made? And it, questioning the claim, she says, is not negative. It's critical thinking. So if somebody tells you the sky, the sun is shining, and you go outside to check, it's not, you're not doing it because you hate the person or dislike the person that made the assertion. You just want to make sure that it's true. And so, but in today's social media, if you don't agree with someone, you hate, you must hate me. You must be deceived. You must be part of the, car, the cabal that's trying to destroy everything that we believe in. So I listened to this, and there were many, many videos. There's a guy from creation.com, uh, Biblical Genetics, I think. I can't remember his name. He did a 20-minute video analyzing it. Kate's, Dr. Kate's video is about 18. I'll play just a few minutes of it and just hear some of her thoughts about the video. It would appear that we have something to talk about. I have been inundated by messages and emails from people who've watched Plandemic and want to know what I think. And I was planning to completely ignore it and hope that it just drifted gently away. Um, but I can't study because I am so infuriated that the world is being taken by this. So um, here we go. And more specifically, that the church is being taken by this, actually, because we are meant to be people of discernment. Here we go. There are a few questions that we ask. There are a couple of questions that we ask as humans. And then for us as Christians, there's a third question that we're going to ask. So the first question is, who is behind this? Okay, so anything we watch, anything we read, we want to know who is the person that's putting it out. And there are a few questions that we want to ask about them. The first question is, just, is this person qualified to be giving me this information? So I, um, as you will know from the about section of my website, I am an emergency doctor, I'm in good professional standing, I'm currently registered with the Australasian um, Health Practitioner Regulation Agency, APRA. I'm registered with the GMC in the UK, but without a license to practice because I'm not practicing there at the moment. Um, I may still be registered in New Zealand, I can't remember, but um, I'm registered, you can look that up. You can go to the web, you can go to the APRA site and you can look up my qualifications and find me there. Um, I qualified in 2008, you'll find that there too. So like, you can go through and you can check out the qualifications of the people that are making these videos and you can go, number one, do they have qualifications? Number two, can I verify those qualifications? And number three, do those qualifications actually give this person the right to tell me what they're telling me? So for example, a doctor who is in um, family care medicine, a general practitioner, 
can't really tell you about hospital medicine because they don't do hospital medicine. They do um, general practitioner medicine. So, for example, the guy in the States who's been talking about how much it costs to get admitted and how um, all doctors are being encouraged to change their practice and diagnose more people with coronavirus. Um, he's a family physician, he's a GP, he's not a hospital doctor, so he can't actually, he's not actually qualified to comment on the hospital doctor stuff. Is there truth to what he's saying? Yes. Um, is it all truth? No. Why is that? Because he's not informed, because he's not actually working in the sphere that, um, that he would need to be working in to comment on that. So one example. Um, so let's go to, I don't know how to say her name, is it Judy Mikovits or something, something like that. Um, so she, and uh, she was a scientist and she was actually quite an accomplished one. So she was working for um, uh, an organization that was set up because the owners of the organization's adult daughter had chronic fatigue syndrome. So they were doing research into chronic fatigue. And she and her colleagues, she wasn't even the first name on the paper. She was like, she was the last or second to last name on the paper, I think, which means that she wasn't one of the key researchers on the paper. Um, but they did this paper and found in the lab that there was this, um, this virus that had been found in all of the chronic fatigue people's blood that wasn't found in non-chronic fatigue people's blood. Now, chronic fatigue is a syndrome that we do not understand. We don't know why people get it. We have no medical reason for it. And the poor people who suffer from it, um, like they all want answers completely understandably. So her lab put out this paper that this virus causes chronic fatigue and the whole chronic fatigue community went, oh my goodness, this is amazing, finally we've got a cure. The problem was whenever anywhere um, puts out a medical discovery, the reason why they publish journal articles um, outlining all of their methods so carefully is so that anyone in the world can reproduce their findings. And one of the things that gives integrity to medical research is whatever you put out, someone else can reproduce it. And the more people that can reproduce it, the more verifiable it is, then that's when um, it changes science and it changes the world. because. Um, people go, they found this, we found this too, we agree, yes, and let's move on and do another advance and build on that. That's, that is reliable information, let's put it in as a building block and let's build on it. Well, the problem with her, this research paper that she did was that um, it wasn't verifiable. So people all over the world were trying to verify it and they couldn't. And so they went back and they went, hang on a second, there's something wrong here. Um, and the leaders, the, some of the other names on the paper actually did more research and they discovered that unfortunately there had been a contaminant in the cell line that they used for the research. Now they published that and went, goodness, um, guys, we think this was due to a contaminant. Um, they did a multi-lab study with nine other labs and um, this Judy's Mikovic's um, lab, new lab, actually was one of those nine labs and she helped to discredit her original research. So they went, look, we made a mistake, this is rubbish, sorry. And it was just um, quietly dropped in the scientific community. All the other researchers, they hadn't done anything wrong, it was an honest mistake. All the other researchers just got on with life because like, it, it was an honest mistake, it was fine. But she didn't. Um, she started really, even though she was part of the paper that decredited her own research, she started really vehemently um, fighting and, um, and just wouldn't drop it. And then, because um, she, uh, she just showed a lack of integrity in a couple of areas in her research lab, and so her, the head of the lab said to her, hey, um, what you're doing here is actually wrong, and I need you to give me this information because it's not integrous that you would hold on to it. And she went, no, I'm not gonna do that. And they went, well, I'm sorry, then we're gonna have to let you go. So they terminated her employment, um, and she, she says on the pandemic video that she did not go back to the lab and steal any notebooks or anything. And um, it's true, she didn't. What she actually did is get two of her assistants to break in and go back and retrieve things for her, which were later found and then restored. So um, 
Oh my goodness. So she's she's not only like she did made an honest mistake, but then she tried to cover it up. Um, she ended up she wasn't in jail for a, a long time. Like it, she had and she wasn't gagged. She had a restraining order put on her so she wouldn't destroy the notebooks um, until they found them. Like there's just so much misinformation, and you can Google back in 2011 where all this when all this happened, and you can read all of this. So um, she said that she was searched without a warrant. Again, that wasn't true. They had a warrant. Um, like there, there were just so many inconsistencies. So as a person, immediately I'm going, whoa, you are lying about a lot of things and I'm not sure if I trust you. You've shown a massive lack of integrity in several areas. Um, you're continuing to show a lack of integrity and, um, and I'm not sure if I trust you as a person. So our number one question is who is this? Who are they? Do they have qualifications to be saying this? Are they credible? And for her really, once you have a look at all of this, you have to go, actually, I'm not convinced that you're hugely credible. Secondly, you say, what do they stand to gain from what they're telling me? So everyone's, loads of the messages I've got have been saying, she's got her head on the block for saying this. And it's like, no, no, her head was on the block back in 2011 when she was um, all over front page news and it completely damaged her reputation. Um, her head is not on the block now. Now she's trying to sell a book and now she's trying to sell a documentary. So why has she been quiet all this time? Um, I can't find anything at all about a gagging order. All there was was this brief restraining order um, with the notebook. So I don't know how much truth there is in that. But um, certainly now she is trying to sell something. And as soon as I'm hearing somebody who are trying to sell something or gain, stand to gain from what they're telling me, your red flag should be going up because... Um, uh, there's a whole load of information out there on the internet that seems to be trying to help you and seems to be trying to break truth and help you to be independent, all this kind of stuff. And they want to sell you something. And she is trying to sell a book that she's just written. She's trying to sell a documentary that's about to come out. Um, so number two, uh, we fail on because she's trying to sell something. Uh, number three, who are they being sponsored by? So were there, if it's a trial, who was sponsoring the trial? Who was um, giving funding towards it? Um, I'm not entirely sure. The guy that is making this video is hugely accomplished at um, being able to manipulate the viewer's opinion and emotion. I don't know if you remember, there was this one bit where she is quoting somebody and they overlay her voice on top of the person that is saying it just for three words. So that makes you think that what she's saying is definitely true and she's a believable person, but the whole of the rest of it was wrong. So just um, incredible skills in, in um, cinematography and in filmmaking. So anyway, you can go and, and find um, Judy or Kate. Um, I'll, tr I'll try to put a link. I, I have the video downloaded. She's on Facebook. Uh, if you want to message me on Facebook to ask for a video, <laughs> I will violate my rule and send you a video in return. But don't send me any more videos. I posted something this morning about, hey, there was a doctor who did, a, I think, a pretty rational evaluation of pandemic. Um, but I can't remember her name. Does anybody else see it? And immediately, people started sending me the pandemic video again. <laughs> so I had to take the post down. So listen, um, I, I'm a trial lawyer, have been for almost 40 years, the end of this month. I've had a lot of court cases. I have done uh, hundreds of trade secret cases that would be similar to the case that was filed against her uh, when she took some things from the lab. But I'm being, I'm, being, I'm being inundated with all these people like, well, here's somebody who researched it, and they have found out that, this, you know, you need to believe Judy Mikovits because of this. Now, one of the claims was, there was like a 10 or 10 paragraph thing, and paragraph number seven said, 
Uh, Anthony Fauci has a patent on the novel coronavirus, to which I said, show, prove to me. He has patents on HIV-related stuff, but show me where he has a patent. Well, that's not what the Post says. The Post says in paragraph 7, he has multiple patents on the novel coronavirus. I can read English. Where is the proof? Show me. I'm not a fan of Tony Fauci, but I think everybody deserves to be quoted correctly or dismissed with evidence and facts and not this innuendo stuff that I see flying all over the place. And it's interesting. So I hesitate to use the, the name of a friend that I contacted to. I talked to one who's a very well-known researcher on the New Age. And he said, I watched the video. I was troubled in my spirit because of the new paradigm, better society, language that was used in the video. I'll explain where that's coming from in just a moment. Another one who, um, husband and wife, and the wife has been a biological researcher. They were quite clear that Judy Mikovits in the, in the thing uh, referenced a recent study that said that if you were... Uh, if you've been given flu vaccines, you were most likely to get a coronavirus. Now, it's a different coronavirus, and it was a study of, I think, people in the Army. But the conclusion was, no, we really can't prove that. But she says in the video, and they hold up the study, and she says that this is what the study found, but it's not what the study found. The study found the opposite. This is problematic, why did nobody ask her a single question in all the interviews that I saw? What is your proof for this? She makes assertions that Fauci has killed millions. What is your proof for that? And I've, so I've seen other lawyers, I've seen doctors, everybody go through, and they're all asking the same questions. And I don't understand why, because you agree. I mean, I had people tell me, don't you dare say anything about this video because you will cause people not to believe her. It's shocking. So one of the other things that was sent to me was this. Paragraph 6. In September 2012, Dr. Judy Mikovits and a team of other scientists conducted another study. Now remember, she publishes a paper. She says that this uh, MRKV virus is found in people with chronic fatigue syndrome. Now, in scientific publications, the thing that you can verify the science is you can replicate it. No one was able to replicate it. Even the people that were doing similar parallel studies to, to her with this virus in connection with prostate cancer, nobody's been able to, re, to do it. And so what they found out at this research facility in Nevada that she was working at, that there was some contamination in the samples. There's even some allegations, I don't know how strong they are, that you know some of the data was uh, replicated saying well this is one person a and person b but they were the same uh, that sounds like a scene out of the fugitive movie where that is actually what happened so i don't know if that's true but i do know that eventually they couldn't replicate the study so they withdrew it so now this assertion comes along and this is passed off by i've gotten it a dozen times and people say a friend of mine did this i did all the research to show that pandemic is 100 percent true so I went, I picked paragraph six and seven just at random. And here's what I say. In September 2012, Dr. Judy Mikovits and a team of scientists conducted another study replicating the original one and published their findings, ultimately resolving 
the scientific community's dispute over the original work. So, she replicated the study and resolved the scientific community's dispute over the original work. By the way, if I could back up just a minute, my friends who said she misstated what this paper, the one paper she actually cited, they held a picture up in the video, and so people froze the frame, and you can find everything on the internet these days, and they went and evaluated that paper, and they said she misrepresented what that paper said. It's, it's just a fact. And I, so I kind of watched the conversation when he, my friend posted this, and the first comment is, oh, so you're okay with people getting uh, vaccines made from dead animal tissue and DNA. Now, that's what we call a non sequitur. And so immediately, like, oh, so you support Fauci and Gates' globalist agenda to mark us with the beast and send us all to hell. And it's like, no, you, you can look at things in pieces, people. Just because you have concerns about this doesn't mean you are, you support vaccination. And so I see posts, she's an anti-vaxxer. She's very popular in the anti-vax movement. But in this pandemic video, they ask her, are you anti-vax? And she says, no. She then goes on to say, well, it's terrible that people get this funding and they try to get patents and all this. She has a patent. She got funding from the same sources that these people do. And what you find is like in every other field, there are egos that get involved and people get hurt. They get, you know, sideways and careers get destroyed and everything. I get all that. Believe me, I've done at least a couple hundred trade secret cases. And I'll talk about them then. But she says, so they replicated the original one and published their findings, ultimately resolving the scientific community's dispute over the original work. This is not true. <laughs> so what I did was I went down and I opened the Duke EDU thing, the Science Mag article, and the mbio.asm.org thing. So here's the Duke article. New, now look at the title. Now remember, they said she, they replicated it and they resolved the controversy. Keep that in mind. Replicated and resolved. New XMRV study studies bring closure and fresh dispute. And there's a picture of Judy Merkowitz. And there's a long article there. And here is a, here is a direct quote. But the results of the biggest study of all had yet to come. Now, this is after the paper, the original paper was withdrawn. They're trying to replicate it. And Science Magazine has pulled it back, and so they're trying to save their research, their theory. Her theory is that this vaccine, that this virus got into people from vaccines and caused chronic fatigue syndrome. And so she's trying to do really good things to solve this problem. But the results of the biggest study of all had yet to come out. Funded by the U.S. National Institutes of Health and led by Ian Lipkin at Columbia University, the $1 million multi-center project finally published its results on Tuesday in MBIO, and not surprisingly, it concludes that the XMRV theory is really, really dead. What does that mean? It means they could not replicate the original study calling into question everything that had been written about it. And everybody was excited. Maybe we're going to finally get some resolution with chronic fatigue. It's a problem. I have friends that suffer from it. I pray that somebody figures out what's going on. 
What is surprising, scientists say, is that Judy Mikovits, the main author of the 2009 paper and the staunchest defender of a role for XMRV or something closely related, is won over. Won over by what? Won over by the fact that the study cannot be replicated. Mikovits, who participated in Lipkin's study, concedes it is, quote, the definitive answer, there is no evidence that XMRV is a human pathogen, period, end of quote. I pointed this out to somebody this morning, and they said, you're just getting your information from the mainstream media. Have you really looked at the papers? And yes, I have. Here is the paper. Look at the title of the paper and the author. Judy A. Mikovits is an author. It's called A Multicenter Blinded Analysis indicates no association between chronic fatigue syndrome, myelagic encephalomyelitis, and either xenotropic murine leukemia virus-related virus, XMRV, or polytropic murine leukemia virus. The conclusion, our study can't be proven. And as she said in a quote, it's over. In fact, the discussion says our results definitively indicate that there is no relationship between CMFSME and infection with either XMRV or PMLV. Indeed, we did not find any evidence of human infection with XMRV or PML, PMLV in peripheral blood in our sample of 293 subjects. And so if I was preparing a cross-examination of Judy Mikovits in a court case, believe me, I'd have a stack of copies of this, and we would go through this in detail. Because now she's sort of out there claiming, well, there really is still a problem. And she makes these claims that are not supported. Now, a lot of what she says I think is true. I mean, there's concerns about vaccines. I think we're all concerned about it because there's this over-vaccining that I think is vaccine that's taking place. And there's all this talk about you're not going to get out to be able to do things unless you have the antibody or a vaccine certificate or something. And I'm concerned about that, too, because, frankly, there's never really been an effective vaccine on a coronavirus of this type anyway. And so I think it's a bit of a pipe dream. So we're maybe talking about what's still sort of science fiction, although people are looking at it. I think the, the promise will be in treatments for the problems that seem to arise with this virus. So what about our court case? I downloaded hundreds of pages. This is an affidavit filed by... Uh, the company that fired her and then said, turn in your notebooks. It's by one of her co-workers. His name is Max PFOST. And in paragraph seven of this affidavit, and this is what you do when you file a case like this, you have to have, it has to be verified. You have to have supporting sworn testimony to go again and get a temporary restraining order for return of documents or to prevent them from using trade secrets and that type of thing. I've done it a couple hundred times. And this is pretty par for the course. And this guy testified. Mikovits then directed me to remove samples from the lab at WPI. That was her employer. And all the notebooks from WPI containing irreplaceable research and data and provide them to her at a later date. She kept her laptop computer with information from, w, from WPI with her. And she says she never took it. And now we have some. So there's a factual dispute. So she gets opportunity. She files court cases. One of the cases was a quiet TM action, which the plaintiff is essentially a whistleblower, steps in the shoes of the governments, files a lawsuit against the people who receive money, money under what 
violating the False Claims Act. They, they claim they were entitled to money that they were not entitled to. And then if there's a recovery, the person who, the whistleblower who brought the complaint gets a big chunk of the money. I forget what the percentage is, 30, 40, 50%. It can, and it can be worth millions. I mean, there are people, I've, I've heard of people, you know, attorneys have handled cases like this. But she filed a case and it was, she was given many opportunities to put up her evidence and comply with court rules. Her attorney withdrew from the case at some point. And the judge just finally, and I listen, I've been in many, many cases like this. In one of the cases, the judge just said, listen, you're not obeying court rules. You're not complying with discovery requests. As sanction for you, I'm entering judgment against you and in favor of your former employer in the amount of five and a half million dollars. This is highly unusual. I've had it done. I may be able to accomplish this three times in my entire career. And I will confess that when it happens, and I've had cases where I think it should have happened, but it didn't because judges are very lenient. And when it happens, I do not have good thoughts about the people who get these type of judgments entered against them. They're given chance after chance after chance after chance by courts. And this is what happened in almost all of her cases. So there were criminal charges filed, they were withdrawn and that type of thing. And then here is uh, one of the most recent dismissal entries. Well, there was a more recent one. She, this case was dismissed. She, she had to serve process on somebody. She never did it. And the court just said, listen, the case is over. So now listen, the other thing that the do lady doctor, Kate from the UK said was, who's behind this? Now I have a friend, um, Mike at On Point Preparedness. We talked for a good while on Thursday about this because I, I put up a post and said, please stop sending me this video. You're crashing my Facebook and I've seen it. Okay, <laughs> enough. And, and then Mike posted something that he had looked into who the director was. So I would recommend you go to Mike at On Point Preparedness on YouTube. There's a couple videos up. One's called Half Woke. And another one, I think, is the new age agenda behind Plandemic. And immediately people say, we shouldn't look at the people behind the film because it's all about her. Listen, do you remember a few years ago when Roma Downey and Mark Burnett did a video series on the Book of Acts, I think it was. And it was recommended by some big pastors. Back when Pastor David Jeremiah wrote a thing, and everybody was saying, Roma Downey's New Age, this is going to infect what she says about the Bible. We shouldn't have anything to do with this. Let me tell you, compared to this guy, Roma Downey is a rookie in New Age stuff. Guy's name is Mickey Willis. Willis. He's featured in the pandemic video. He does the interviewing. Very, very good. Very well produced. I can understand why it went viral. But look at some of the things from this Facebook page. He is the founder. In fact, when you look at his page, Evolutionary Leaders in Service to Conscious Evolution. Evolutionary Leaders is a project of the Source of Synergy Foundation. I think this is new age. Why aren't people concerned about that? Oh, just, just ignore that. I haven't been told this yet, but I'm sure it'll come. Chew the meat and spit out the bones. Try that on chopped. You'll be, 
you'll be chopped. You'll lose the competition if you serve bones. Mickey Wells is the founder of Elevate, a production company on a mission. Elevate is one of the most prolific creators of socially conscious media. And here is part of the video that's on one of his websites showing what he's about. Look at the imagery that you see here. The inner light coming out. Reiki. So what, the burning bush? Now watch this. This is sort of like uh, Willy Wonka type stuff coming up. See the inner light coming out and going to others? Dalai Lama. I, I'm just... <laughs> Why are people not paying attention to this? Now, Corona. Here's what crown. he says. This is, in a sense, a virus of consciousness. Now, the virus can actually deplete our consciousness or take us to the next layer, level of our own human consciousness. That's our choice. The world is open right now in a way that it's never been before. It's ovulating. So the question is, are we together going to resurrect the dead, or are we going to birth the new? Are we going to default to our old habits, which is far easier, so I understand the temptation, or are we going to allow this moment to catapult us, to quantum leap us into a new level of consciousness and connection? We suffer from short-term memory of some sort. We forget who we are and what we are. We forget why we came. And so in this moment, through this experience, with this pandemic, I'm choosing to remember, to do my best to remember, to remember that this is not the first time we've been here, and it certainly won't be the last. I appreciate being in this experience with you. I'm grateful about the that virus. I somehow chose this time and space to incarnate into this life. That may sound woo-woo for you, but this is the time when we need to get a little woo-woo people. Might sound find something deeper. This is the moment. Now, a friend of mine, not a friend of mine, but uh, somebody I'm aware of, uh, his name came up in some of my conversations, a uh, young man named Steve uh, Bankars, B-A-N-C-A-R-Z, Stephen Bankars, B-A-N-C-A-R-Z, has a video up about this. Um, could pandemic have a new age agenda behind it? I grabbed these clips from that. They're also on Mickey Willis' Facebook page. He's a former New Ager, very gracious analysis. He actually knows Mickey Willis. And so I, I'm just telling you, I have many, many, many friends who are deeply, deeply concerned about the agenda that's out this. And now uh, Mike at On Point Preparedness put up another video yesterday showing Plandemic Part 2, which is this Dr. Boutier, a uh, doctor from North Carolina, uh, who I think is sort of like a Dr. Oz Muslim, a new age. And, and they, he's very good at marketing his videos. Maybe we should do it. Better watch this video today. It'll be banned in 24 hours. Or I'm taking this video down in 24 hours, and I see it three days later. And do you understand? Do you see what's happening with the hype and everything? And I'm just concerned that everybody's falling for it. And listen, Guess who shows up at the end of this Dr. Boutier's video, Plandemic Part 2, is this guy. There's an agenda here. Don't fall for it. Now, I'm not saying discount everything that Judy Mikovits says. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying 
buy into Bill Gates' agenda or Tony Fauci's agenda. I'm not saying that. But we need to be, of all people on planet Earth, the church needs to be people of truth and discernment. And I'm concerned that this is just shared without vetting, despite the fact that it's true. What's the old saying? There's always real cheese in a rat trap. This is a problem. If you look at his Facebook page, and I'll finish up with this. Um, this is Facebook page post from March 6th. Wait, this is the month before, two months before a pandemic ever came out. Look at what he says down here in the last paragraph. No, this is not an intro to a sales offer. I'm sincerely interested in knowing how you're doing. If no other reason to you, remind you that people care. Despite the way we communicate here on social media, humans are deeply kind and loving. It is our nature to nurture. We would die for each other. And then now he gets in. Now the mask comes off. Beneath the layers of armor, our hearts are beating strong as one. Our hearts are beating strong as one. While our minds are working overtime to protect and divide us from imaginary enemies, the wisdom of the heart informs us that it is literally impossible to be separated from each other. We are indivisible by design. And he goes on to say in that last paragraph, there is no blue, no red, no left, no right, nor us or them. By the way, I, I think he has... This might sound woo-woo. It sounds woo-woo to me. In ultimate reality, we are 7.7 billion cells giving life to a single organism. That's rank new age. Listen, I told somebody this in a discussion this week. As Christians concerned about discernment, leftism, globalism, and the evils there, socialism, whatever you want to call it, that and the, on the discernment tree, that's low-hanging fruit. But I'm telling you, on the other side of the issue, when you see these people talking about a great awakening and that type of thing and other movements that are pushing this, when you really dig into it, there is a new age agenda behind it. It's a dominionist agenda. Even in church, you would call it new apostolic reformation. I'm telling you, I'm very concerned. That, listen, the devil works on both sides of the issue, folks. We are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. The solution is armor up, be people of the truth, don't be turned aside to fables. Satan's working both sides of the issue. Be careful. Pray for discernment. Share a Bible verse with someone every time you want to share pandemic video. And by the way, I oppose them taking that down. I think it should be left up. I think everybody should watch it. But I also think everybody should watch the videos that are addressing what I think are some serious issues in that video. And I think by the assertions that are made, the truth that's there gets undermined. At least it does with this guy. Don't fall for it. There's a bigger agenda at play. Look at what's happened in the world and the speed with which it has happened. You cannot deny that there's a lot going on. And this is 
when you strip it all back, it's a spiritual battle. Stay in the Word. Stay in prayer. Focus on Jesus.